Welcome to the Goalie Hacks podcast, the show dedicated to providing elite tips, hacks, and strategies to take your game to the next level, where we help you become an elite goaltender, one hack at a time. And now, here's your host, Mike Santaguida. Bang, bang, everyone. How are we all doing? Hope everyone is getting off to just a fantastic start, you know, to their season. And if you haven't yet, um, I hope you're training hard or close to the beginning of your season and getting ready. And if you're not there either, <laughs> then uh, no worries that, you know, um, hockey will come back eventually. And we just need to stay strong through these hard times. You guys just need to stay focused um, and, and focus on your development and focus on filling in the gaps on those things that have needed work, um, you know, the past few years. But, you know, you haven't really had the opportunity to sort of get down to the deep root of it all and deconstruct some of that stuff. You know, let's turn this negative in, into just a really big positive. And uh, shout out to all my patrons, and that's exactly what we do in my inner circle mentorship group where I work with goalies 1v1 to catapult their development, deconstruct their game, and help them identify the areas where they can grow most to get to the next level faster. I highly recommend that you guys go check out all the details. We now have 16 kids involved, and the results have been phenomenal. We have so much fun. So go check out patreon.com slash goaliehacks uh, for more details or click the link in the show notes as well. You know, this is honestly uh, my favorite time of the week, you know, where I get to come to you guys and do a little custom intro and uh, release a new episode of the goalie community provide value every single week and we never miss a week i hope you guys realize that already and uh you know i intend on keeping it that way every tuesday morning uh for as far as the eye can see is the e the ear can hear try saying that 10 times fast uh you guys can rely on me and my team you know to bring the best interviews from some of the best coaches professionals trainers and goaltenders in the world to give you guys the inside scoop on how you can propel your career forward. The best audio experience to provide some exclusive knowledge and hopefully some entertainment. I hope you guys are really enjoying everything we've had to offer so far. And and I know if you guys are thinking, hey, oh, I might not have liked this interview, I might not have liked this interview, you know, like... Um, I handpick everybody for specific reasons, um, and there are a lot of people that obviously would like to come on the show, and and rightfully so, a lot of people will get on the show, and if we're going to do this for a long time, I, I wouldn't fret about you know the lineup or the guests or whatever it is. Everybody I bring on here is brought on for a reason, to bring some type of value to you guys. Um, and, uh, you know, just stick around for the long haul. I think you guys are going to be really impressed at the end of a, a few years down the road that just... Uh, the number of great goalies, coaches, and, and professionals that, that we've brought on. So um, just stick with us. And as always, if you guys have any feedback, um, just hit me up directly, man. I, I, our guys and gals, I know both listen to the show, um, older and younger. Uh, always open to feedback and to making this experience as amazing as possible for you guys, uh, my community members. So this week on the show, I have a WHL coaching champion. And he runs one of the biggest and best goaltending schools in all of Canada, Ellen, Alberta. Justin Cardinal with Evolution Goaltending. And Justin is just a super down-to-earth guy who really cares about his goaltenders. You know, has worked with tons of goalies at the NHL level all the way down to major junior, including Aiden Hill, 
um, with Phoenix, Chad Johnson, and several Calgary Flames goaltenders, including Kari Rama, Mike Smith, and all the guys that have gone through there over the years. Uh, the list goes on. And we dive deep to, uh, today into how exactly his organization, the Kootenai Ice, won a WHL championship, uh, what separates winners from mediocre goaltenders, and what separates the elite from the great. And you guys are going to love this one. So stick around until the end of the episode to get the entire conversation. It was absolutely fire. Uh, shout out to our other main sponsor, NeuroTracker. And if you guys are interested in getting started... You know, if you send me a DM or email, I may just in so facto have an exclusive early bird discount going on right now. And the NTX is still not open to the general public, however. But I went and knocked down their doors a bit. I say, hey, people are asking. They want to get in. And uh, NeuroTracker has gone ahead and given me the green light to start accepting individual goaltenders again, even though they still haven't fully launched the platform. So if you want the scoop on the discount, and if you're looking to add an important layer to your train that can dramatically, positively impact your game, then hit me up directly for more info on how to get started today. And shout out to my boy, Tony Yotso. And by the way, uh, you know, my Italian brother winning our surprise weekly competition with a 3.28 average high score run, his highest score yet. And we typically run little mini surprise competitions during the month as well. And congrats to uh, Tony on winning this month's surprise weekly challenge. Sometimes we give away cash prizes, uh, believe it or not. We have some fun um, right now. That score stands as the monthly leader score as well. So it'll be interesting to see how things shape up uh, toward the month and the next couple weeks. But without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. I know you guys are going to love the chat Justin and I had today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Goalie Hacks podcast. Today on the show, I'm excited to be joined by a leader in the goalie community in Western Canada. He runs one of the biggest goaltending schools in Calgary, Alberta, called Evolution Goaltending, and has nine years of consulting experience in the WHL, Justin Cardinal. Justin spent three seasons with the PG Cougars and spent six seasons with the Kootenai Ice, where he was a part of the 2011 WHL Ed Chinnawith Cup Championship and represented the WHL in the 2011 Memorial Cup. Having grown up in Canmore, Justin enjoys camping and exploring the mountains with his wife, Terry, and son, Finn. Justin, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for coming on the show, man. Good, man. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, right on. Well, gr- well great to finally meet. And, uh, you know, I must say a-, a while back when we first chatted, and if you remember, I reached out to, to you regarding a collaboration post and um, at the time I wanted to get you in the post so bad. And I remember you were so busy and rightfully with, you know, such a well-run goaltending school and, and some high caliber goaltenders, but now just, uh, fast forwarding six months now. And I know how it feels to just be swamped and not have enough time to get to everything now and message everyone. I, I try my best, but crazy how your, your schedule just changes. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's sort of the life of a, of a goaltending coach. Um, I think it's one of those, <laughs> one of those things where you, you, uh, things you plan things all the time and things change quickly um i think the reason that i couldn't make that last one was i think aiden hill had been called up to the nhl yeah and, uh, was playing so uh pretty tough to try to miss an opportunity to get to see a guy like that play so yeah no kidding i don't i don't blame you at all it's very cool and uh prior to the call you mentioned a, a few names that that you've worked with over the years and we'll get into that a little bit um but uh, I'm just curious, were you guys sort of fortunate enough to to get on the ice at all out West during COVID? Like how's training been going so far leading up to the season? It's definitely been different. Um, we normally have our summers pre-planned and, and things sort of move pretty, pretty smoothly. But uh, 
this year with COVID, we weren't able to get on the ice until July. And it was July 4th, I think, was the opening date. Um, so there's a three-month period of no ice, um, which was tough. But uh, but we're back at it now, running full bore. It's uh, I mean, there's still some some weird weird things with the arena protocols and stuff like that. But hopefully we can get back to normal and, and uh, get a full season in. Yeah, hopefully we get back to normal soon. But I think that uh, you and I had discussed it that this is probably the the weirdest year in hockey ever, right? Yeah, strange yeah. In, in every in, at every level. And it, the crazy part that I find is at every level there's different messages. Um, where, where they're going to start, when they're going to start, how evaluations are yeah. going to work and what it is. So we're all learning. Yeah. Well, maybe you can just start off. We'll get right into it and, uh, you know, briefly introduce yourself to everyone, you know, where you've been and sort of where we are now. All right. Um, so yeah, again, uh, my name is Justin Cardinal. I, I've been coaching goaltenders for 17 years now. Um, started basically, actually, I started my coaching career in Australia. Um, I, I went down there to play um, and the team that I went to play for sort of, it was an expansion team it, they, at that time it was called super league. Um, and we ended up, uh, myself and, a uh, one of the other imports, we started coaching there. We got into some developmental league to try to right. help grow the game in Australia and started coaching. And I really, really enjoyed it. I was young. I was only 20, 21 years old. Um, really enjoyed it. And I uh, came back, had some opportunities to get back into playing, um, some, some sort of, uh, ACAC hockey. Right. Um, and, uh, didn't really f- want to play anymore. Got uh, every time, every team I played for, um, the goaltending coach always told me that I'd be a better coach than I was a player. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I stuck with it and, uh, now yeah, here you. I am. Um, so yeah, I've coached in the Western league for nine years, did six years with the Kootenai ice. Um, again, went to the Memorial cup with those guys had a great experience there and then went, moved on to Prince George for three years. Um, and, and Prince George was great. The only, I, I, I had a, a son at the time who was one yeah. years old and the, and the, the travel I live, I live in a small town in Alberta. The travel was just getting too much for to to my wife yeah. as a young kid. So we, uh, we actually, when I, when I played in, uh, I played in the BCHL they, the Prince George, the Spruce Kings, they were in our division and we played in the mainland division in the South. So like we, we they, we had to play them like six times or something six or eight times throughout the year yeah and we had to go like do two or three road trips up the pg it was like 11 hours or something like yeah. that yeah that their uh their road schedule is insane yeah well you know how, how was how was it being out there though it, it's, that- and even like out there that they because the closest game closest road game that they play is Kamloops, and Kamloops is six hours so yeah. um that's when your closest road game is is a six hour drive where a lot of other teams, that's one of their longest drives. It's uh, it's it's a challenge, but the, the great part again, they have a, they have a great ownership group, they have great management. Um, everybody gets looked after pretty good there. So, um, yeah. travel as as much as it is, you're on a bus, it, it's still pretty comfy and uh, and and they they deal with it really well. Yeah. So, how have things been going in recent years for you guys? What you've been up to? Really good, man. It's since since having uh, having my son, and, and obviously that's a bit of a full time job as well. Um, I've really we've really focused on more of like the development side here from from a business standpoint. Um, and I, I can't I can't thank my staff enough. Um, I actually don't like to call them my staff. We we work together. Nobody yeah. works for me. Um, and so we've really focused on on ultimately trying to bring the best product to the ice. Yeah. Um, so that, that alone, it's been great. I have the, the two guys that I have to mention with my staff is, uh, uh Nick Degatano. He's my, my, uh, business partner. We started evolution about eight years ago nice. and, uh, he, he's been fantastic. He, we're, 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 we're 
very different, but very alike. We both have sort of the same goals and, and uh, he's phenomenal. He's the old Grizzlies goaltending coach right now. He's phenomenal when it comes right. to the on ice product. And then Ben Vandervee is the other guy that works for me. He's uh, works with me, I guess. Um, he has his master's in sports psychology. He was an old student of mine that played uh, division three in the NCAA with, uh, uh, geez, uh, Dartmouth. Um, and he, he came back to Calgary, finished his, his master's in sports psychology mm-hmm. and joined us. And uh, without those two guys, I'm nothing. Um, they're like family to me. Um, so I can't say enough about those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cheers, man. You, and you mentioned uh, in, in recent years that you had been working with um, the Calgary Flames goaltending coach and uh, just working with their guys to help them get some extra ice before the season got underway. Maybe you can just touch on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I met Jordan Siglet, who's the Calgary Flames goaltending coach. Great guy. Um, definitely down, very down to earth and, and uh, really, really, really easy to, to deal with and work with. He's, he's a great guy. And uh, he contacted me out of the blue one day. They needed some ice for uh, Kari Ramo, who was coming off of an injury. Um, so he came to me and we skated for a week and uh, he was great. Kari was great. Um, we still sort of, I, I, I chat with him every once in a while through email after he went back to Finland. Um, really, really good guy. And, uh, and from there, it sort of snowballed into some opportunity yeah. to skate with all their process, a lot of their prospects. Um, and uh, so for instance, Nick Schneider, who's from Edmonton, who travels to Calgary once mm. to twice a week to come down to skate. Um, and then I got obviously with Chad Johnson signing there. Um, mm-hmm. I got to skate with all those guys before the, before the season starts. Um, they, they do a whole bunch of skates and I get to go out, got to go out and skate with a bunch of their goalies. I've been on the ice with Brian Elliott and, and Chad Johnson and Eddie Lack and Mike Smith. Um, yeah, right on. Eh? So yeah, it's been lots of fun. Um, again, learning, learning every time, every time I'm out there. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, no, I like that constantly learning even, uh, everybody, you even see that from the NHL guys at that level, even the, the mentality that they have is that doesn't matter how old you are, who you are, where you're from, you can always take some, uh, you know, something away from somebody, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, all the guys that you work with there and sort of, um, you know, being involved a little bit, what, what do you think is sort of, uh, what, what really stuck out to you about those guys compared to a lot of the amateur goaltenders that you work with that sort of separate them among amateurs and, and pro and pros? Ultimately, man, I, I think what it comes down to for, for, for a lot of those guys, again, and I've, I've, I'll, we'll elaborate a little bit more um, when we get into some of the guys that I've worked with at a young age, but when you, when you get on the ice with a guy like Brian Elliott or a guy like Mike Smith, um, obviously they've been doing this a long time and they yeah. know themselves. So they know their strengths. They know what they're, they know um, what works for them. So it's not a matter of like going out and trying to critique or tell anybody they're doing anything wrong. It's more so about support. And, and even in, if, if there's some situations that you, you see something, it's not a matter of, of trying to push your ideas on them, but giving them those ideas so they, they can understand. Because that's one of the biggest things with, with hockey now. Back in the day, I mean, and, and you probably know this, most head coaches, all they want you to do is stop the puck. Oh, yeah. It's not that easy, <laughs> right? No, it's more, not. It's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah, there's, not, there, there's a lot more detail to it. So yeah. they're very detail-oriented. They're very, um, like, again, with the thing with Mike Smith that I'll, I'll just elaborate on real quick, the very first drill I ever did with him, it was just a warm-up drill. And uh, we, we had a shooter out. I was passing a puck to the shooter. He was skating around the top of the circle and releasing a shot. The very first time I'm, I, I pass a puck, the shooter goes around the cone, fires a shot. He catches the puck before his knees have hit the ice, going down to the safe. He slaps the puck to the ice and hits me with the pass tape to tape. And it, like, <laughs> I know. I, I love that, actually. I learned that from him, too. He slammed it down, right? Yeah. And, and it, before, like, before he was even on the ice, the puck was down, and it was coming towards my stick. So, like, 
then you, you look at, he's one of the best puck handlers in the game. Well, the reason he is, is because he works on it every single time. Yeah. Every single time he gets control of the puck, he's handling it. Um, it's not a matter of, Hey, you, you're going to, you're going to spend a full day on puck handling. He takes every opportunity to get better. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, well, well, maybe we can get dive right into sort of, um, you know, your coaching style and, you know, your general approach to the game to just give everyone a better idea of, of, you know, how you coach. So what are three or four things that, you know, you feel really passionate about and, and believe in when it comes to getting goaltenders to the next level? So the first, first thing for, and the, probably one of the most important things I think is just building a relationship with your athlete. Um, the, the thing that I find with, with coaching, um, is more so that they, the student has to trust you. Um, and how you gain that trust is not by, I don't think by any type of authority. It's a matter yeah. of understanding them. Um, there, there's a lot more when it comes to mental, um, physical, tactical, technical, all those, all those things you can give anybody as much information as you want, but if they don't trust you or if they don't believe in you, it's hard for hard for anybody to sort of adapt to that. Yeah. So the first thing is, is building a relationship and understanding the individual. Um, and then the next part, the next part about that go, goes into the idea, like we're, we're very detail oriented as a, as a company and as, as coaches. Yeah. Um, and the, the biggest thing is, is there's not one way to play the position. Um, but being able to help that individual understand more, because at the end of the day, they have to go play. And if there's any type of confusion or any type of doubt, that's where like, as a coach, you, you have to try to get rid of that doubt. Yeah. You have to try to figure out how, what, what's going to help make them tick, whether it be a pregame routine or one of the biggest things that, uh, that in, in the mental side of things is understanding that um, the voice, you know, you know, that voice that you hear in your head. Sometimes oh, yeah. you're the only one that hears that. So, <laughs> and it sounds like you, right? Exactly. And that's the thing is that's not you. you, you can, you can hear that, but you're the one listening to that voice. So yeah. to try to get someone to understand that they can change the dialogue of that voice in their head. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge part of understanding for one, understanding the game for two, those, those peaks and valleys that you go through, through a season is understanding when the valleys get low and that voice is in your head to try to change its dialogue to a more positive dialogue. So that valley ends up being very, very short and then you can start to peak again. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's more so about like just really understanding the individual. Cause again, if you go through and, and name the five best goalies in the NHL right now, um, none of them play alike. Yeah. There's yeah, some no. similarities, but they're not the same. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I, I like that you said, uh, what, why do you think that is like, what, like, I'm curious, like I, I'm, I believe what you're saying, but begging the question, why do you think goaltending is just not so cookie cutter as people think? Like, why do you think you have to take that tailored approach to, to everybody in their game? So I, th I think it comes down to like, again, in terms of like mental, mental strengths, mental weaknesses, but physical strengths, physical weaknesses, everybody's a little bit different and everybody's comfort level is a little bit different. The best goalie, regardless of, of their technical or tactical ability is the confident one. It's the one who believes in their abilities. Yeah. If you look at it right now, I'll be honest with you, man. At the start of the playoffs, how many people picked Antoine Kudobin to do what he's doing right now? I know, man. Little guy standing up. Yeah, <laughs> and he's kicking. You can't take anything yeah. away from that guy. So yeah. the whole thing is, is and again, there was a lot. Of, I, I almost guarantee you, back in in Tim Thomas's era, there were so many guys, goaltending coaches included, that would have claimed that he did everything wrong. But did he? Totally right. He made a whole bunch of saves and he won a Stanley Cup. He didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> he won the Vesna, didn't he? Yeah, he won the Vesna as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So the, the, the confidence and building the trust in, in, within your athlete, but also allowing them to go play and them to trust themselves and that belief system of, of 
their game versus what you think they should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I also like how you said, uh, and you actually worded it exactly the same way I do. And I actually haven't heard many people talk about that is that there's always that voice in your head. But the thing is, is that it's, it sounds like you. So you think that it's right. Cause you think, but the, the thing is, is that that voice in your head, that's talking to you. Uh, and something that really hit me is that resonated with me and somebody, or I read somewhere is that that voice in your head that's talking to you isn't always right. Yeah. Right. Which is when you're doubting yourself or when you get tired and you don't think you can go any further. Right. So for you, I'm just curious cause I'm, I'm very passionate about positive self-talk and building that self-belief and, uh, taking control of the thoughts in your head. How exactly do you articulate that to your goaltenders and, and sort of show them the right way to take control over the, the mental dialogue that's going on in their head? Well, again, I, I think it comes down to the, the other part of the other part of, of um, the way we train guys and how we train. Again, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not a big drill guy. When I say drill, yeah. guy, like I, I believe in drills. We have drills, obviously, but I'm not about I don't, I, I don't like the idea of like, hey, here's a cool drill. Um, what, yeah. what are you what are you taking out of the drill? And so what, what we base our everything on is sort of acquiring the skill rather than getting good at a drill. So right. that that voice that voice in your head um, also relates to your skill level. If 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 you doubt your skill, that voice is going to be negative, and you're you're gonna you're gonna fear sort of the failure. Where if you're skilled and you believe in your skill set, that's where that voice starts to change, and that's how you you can observe that voice by by for one when you listen to it, understand that you're the one listening, not the one that's talking in your right. head. Um, now, as soon as you as soon as that belief system in your in your skill level happens and, and the technical and tactical um, side of the game starts to take shape, you you start to gain more confidence. So it's easier right. with more confidence. It's easier to control that voice simply due to you trust yourself. Where that doubt, if you if you doubt your skill and that voice comes in and there's doubt, well, that's a double negative. You're gonna you're if you tell yourself it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be hard. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I mean, go ahead. No, no, no. Continue, actually. So, so the the whole thing, and that's one thing that, and I'll be honest, I'm not. Don't think I'm taking shots at anybody. But the 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 word the word grind, and the the people talking about, oh yeah, we're grinding. I don't like to use the word grind because grind has a very very negative approach to it. It's a grind as there's resistance when really we're supposed to be playing the game we love. Yeah, you, you should be enjoying this. This should, you should want this work. You should want to do it. If you don't want to do the work, well, success is probably going to be pretty tough to find. So yeah. that whole idea of grinding, we're not grinding, we're working. There's, there's other things. There's people that are grinding to, you know, to find their next meal. That's a grind. You're yeah. on the ice playing hockey, you know, um, <laughs> enjoy this. Let's, let's want to do this. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, you know, and, and I always say at the same time too, like if everything for you in hockey's a grind, you're going to burn out eventually. Right. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen it with some of your guys over the years no? Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. And that, that you're absolutely right. Is like, as soon as you pull up to the rink, and it's a negative feeling. Well, now it's, now you're no longer wanting to do the work. It's you can't wait till it's over. Yeah. So, y- y- sorry, you said that you know you like to focus on. I really like how you articulated that. That you focus on acquiring a skill rather than dominating a drill. Yeah. Um. So, for you guys, like, what what kind of discussion do you have before you go into a drill? Is it something you say, hey, we're working on this skill? right now and then that way that you can apply it to different situations correct yes absolutely so the, like most most lesson based or or anything we we do it's ve- we're very again we're very detailed in what we do so we have areas of focus and instead of going through a, a 10 puck drill where you're going to get tired i'll be honest with you 
um, back in the day when I was young, everyone focused on just the hard work. And, and I, I yeah. tell you guys all the time to hard work's a prerequisite. If you aren't working hard right now, we're, we have bigger problems. Um, so stop focusing on be on working hard at, at hard work, work hard with purpose, work at something. If you work at something, you're going to get better at that thing you're working on. Mm. Now, again, different companies, different coaches, they're going to have different, different, um, ideas on what you should be working on. But at the same time, it, it goes back to your practices. Well, if you go out and just practice really hard, well, you're going to get tired. Tired yeah. goaltending is not good goaltending. Um, <laughs> so the whole, the whole thing is, is, is uh, there's areas of focus. So we'll break down like, again, if it's, if it's simply like a, if it's a younger kid and we're, we're utilizing, you know, simple skill stuff where we're going to talk about his stick and, and controlling pucks off his stick. Well, you can break that down to break that down into details and then just work that skill. Now, as soon as we start to get into it in terms of situational awareness and the idea of, of controlling rebounds and eliminating post-save delay after you make a save and getting to a rebound quicker, those all, it all ties together. So the whole idea of this, of the skill on the drill is, is if you get good at a drill, well, that, if that drill doesn't happen in a game, how do you apply the skill that you just acquired? Yeah. Right. Where if you can, if you can acquire the skill, it, it can relay into any situation in your game. Yeah. Would you say that you've heard of this? I'm sure you've heard of this, uh, this concept of deliberate practice, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's essentially what you're doing. You're applying deliberately practicing a skill rather than getting good at a drill and just feeling comfortable, right? Yes, absolutely. Very, right on. Well, I want to dive into, you know, your time working in the, in the WHL and, um, as I mentioned in the intro, you won a, a championship there as the goaltending coach for the Kootenai Ice and had a, a Memorial Cup appearance and, and were there for, for over five years. So uh, plenty of experience winning at the major junior level. Um, where do you see the most difficult areas kids usually have uh, transitioning to that level? Uh, well, the, the hardest part, and I'll be honest, man, I, I truly believe that the Western Hockey League, or, the, or sorry, the CHL is the, the best junior hockey league in the world. Yeah, um, they, they have sure. the, most, the most skill that the, the league every year, those leagues are so deep with talent. Um, the, the hardest transition, I, I believe, a, a lot of times is um, the idea of and this is this goes away from just the hockey side, the idea of going to a brand new team at the potential age of 16 and living in a completely different town where you're and there, there's, um, again, a number of kids that I've had the experience to coach. Um, that at 16, they don't know if they're really ready to make that jump. Mm. Um, where again, um, and I'll be honest, when when we did the um, when we went to the Memorial Cup in 2011, we started off. I had a goalie, Nathan Lewin, who who ended up uh, playing a little bit with the Buffalo Sabers. Yeah. Um, but Nathan had a tough had a tough goal. He was in a car accident at the age of 16. He was he was ranked very high in the in, for central scouting at at 16, um, and he had a, had a head injury. Uh. Um, it was a concussion and it, it was really tough and, and it really threw a wrench into his development um so at 16 this happened and then at 17 he came back and they didn't know if he was fully cleared to play i mean not cleared but fully okay and he started yeah the year you kind of have that doubt in, in your mind right yeah at one point he was he was actually thinking about going to school and not playing hockey anymore because of wow. the because of his head injury thank i mean thankfully he he recovered and he was our guy that, that went all the way to the Memorial cup. But I think the biggest changes for that league is understanding that it's, it's the closest thing to pro as not playing pro. Um, totally. So I, I think that just that jump from you, you get away from like the minor hockey um, where you're, you know, your parents environment, the vibe, like being comfortable, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just that level of discomfort. So you're saying the biggest transition is guys actually, getting out of their comfort zone and having a bit of a culture shock and going to a new environment as a young kid. Yeah. They, they, people have to, I mean, kids have to mature real quick because it's a very, very mature league. 
Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, and I, and I didn't play, uh, I never played major junior, but even when I was, um, 16 playing just junior A as an affiliate, I was like, wow. And then I left to, to go to a private school in the States. Um, cause I'm a bit of a shorter guy. So it just seemed like a better road for me to go to the college route. Um, yeah. but going there, I was like such a huge culture shock, man. I mean, it didn't really, it didn't hit me negatively. Like I would say, like it didn't affect my hockey, but it's certainly, I certainly felt it. Yeah. Um, especially if you're from Canada, you go to the United States or even, you know, Leuven uh, coming from overseas to, to over here. Right. I'm sure that was a big culture shock for him. So what do you kind of do with your guys, um, to help them, the young guys to help them transition through that being away from home and stuff like that. The, so the, the biggest thing that we do, I mean, ultimately throughout training, if they're, if they're training with us in the summertime is you're, you're constantly, um, you're constantly preparing them for what they're, what they're getting themselves into and understanding the expectations and, and understanding that mom and dad aren't going to be there all the time. And, but we also, what, what we do, um, in terms of like the guys that, that are, are pretty consistently training with us is I keep my, keep my phone open all the time. If they need anything at any time there, they can call me, they can reach out yeah. to me. Um, I, I had that. I was very, very fortunate. My first six years of coaching in the Western hockey league, um, the GM of the, of the Kootenai ice was Jeff Chanel that when you, when you win the, the WHL championship, it's named after his father, Ed Chanel. Um, so I got to right. learn some of, from some of the best with, with uh, again, how the league operates. Um, so the, the inside, just the information is, uh, and even for parents to, to feel comfortable with knowing that their kids are going, you know, to, to Cranbrook, British Columbia, um, at 16 when they're from Saskatchewan, um, yeah. to, to know that they're in good hands. It's, it's, uh, just, just the experience alone and, and knowing that what, like where they're going and what they're trying to accomplish is, is huge. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, in terms of uh, a more on ice approach, um, you know, what do you think is the key to being able to transition to transition much smoother? And what do you think kids need to work on now to be prepared for the, the challenges at that level when they get there? To, to be honest, man, the biggest the biggest thing that they can take and I'll, this is pro- this is probably going to I'll touch on two things. Sure. Um, the first thing is is IQ. Um, is the is intelligence and the information right. of finding out what they're good at and understanding the game. The game definitely happens at a higher pace than than what obviously what kids are used to because it's the highest level of junior. Yeah. Um, but in say, in saying that, the whole thing that a lot of a lot of times, and this is a misconception, a lot of times people think that there's just this huge element of speed that you have to get way faster. Um, that's not true. And when I say that's not true, if you watch the NHL right now, like look around the league, watch how fast those guys are moving. Yeah, they're fast and they're powerful, but they're not moving 100 miles an hour 100% of the time. Right. It's more so about adding structure and understanding what's happening during the game and playing the game rather than just trying to stop the puck. Right. Um, so, so the biggest bit of information, usually when, when um, we're a little bit different out in the Western League here, um, we draft yeah. at the age of 14. Um, a little younger. Like, yeah. Get them early. So, so we get, we get, they, they come to camp, they come to training camp at the age of 14, 15. So that's crazy, man. Yeah. Honestly. That's so like, I felt like 16 years old, even with the OHL, I thought that was pretty young when I was like, wow, when I saw that. Yeah. And I, I again, I don't know how much of a fan I am of that. I, I do like sort of the, the older, cause you get, you get a little bit more mature and, and yeah. whatnot before coming work to with those training better, right? But the earlier that the good news is, cause I, I, I actually had, um, when, when I had Nathan Lewin as a, as a, um, 17 year old we drafted Mackenzie Skapsky so mm. I got to got to work with Mackenzie Skapsky he played as a 20 year old for the New York Rangers a little bit yeah um but so so when you get when you get these young guys it's more so instead of I mean obviously we're doing technical work and whatnot but also understanding the game and the level of the game is executed at that level the difference is I mean it, yeah there is an element of speed for sure 
but you don't have to be you don't have to be that much faster if you add more structure and control to your game yeah. efficiency trumps speed in every aspect of this position right. so if you can become more efficient really and that's i think one of the biggest things is i see a lot of guys they're they're you put them in a movement pattern and they're really fast but they're fast at nothing you know yeah. rather than rather than actually be controlled and structured and, and if, if you watch the best guys i mean look what carter hart's doing with the philadelphia flyers the yeah. guy is technically very, very strong. Never really do you see him panic and scramble anywhere. He's more structured and controlled. And yeah. um, so it's more so about like for for, um, for younger guys, it's more so about under, understanding the whys and the hows versus mm -hmm. just work really hard. Yeah, no. And I like that. Uh, I, you know, this this is based in my opinion, this has become sort of a common theme of like, where are we going? And uh, the game is moving toward efficiency because Everybody sort of has the skills now, like you said. Everybody sort of has that speed in the repertoire and everything. Yeah. Um, but how efficient are you in that movement? How efficient you are you in the crease? Yeah. And I, this is actually why I wanted to reach out to you so long ago um, regarding this concept of of sort of like I didn't coin it. I actually uh, I learned it from my goalie coach here in Toronto when I was like fourteen or something, like almost uh, you know thirteen, fourteen years ago now. And it's this idea surrounding around crease management. And I think that's sort of what you're referring to, right? Yeah, so it's very similar. The, the thing that the thing that, and again, I, I with the zone mapping stuff that you're talking about with the, with cre with the decrease management stuff, um, that's that's all good, very good stuff and information that you can go over with guys. But the one thing that with that on top of that is talking about situations, like situational awareness, yeah. like understanding understanding a team's um, forecheck or offense or power play, mm. and every team's different. So the problem that, that, the only problem that I find with with some zone mapping stuff is if you say, if you draw out a zone map and say, okay, if, if number four is down on your glove side post yeah. and you could be re reverse VH, well, again, that's going to be situational. What what type of what type of power play are they setting up? What are they trying to move? So the, right. the goalie can actually make a read and understand, like, I'll, I'll be honest, I use Marty Berger a lot. Um, Marty Berger played the game till he was like 100 years old, and he played it at, at a very, very high level when 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 he played it. And again, one of the best right. to ever play the game. Um, in his last couple of years, he didn't really modernize what he was doing. He didn't get faster. His ability to read and anticipate was better than anybody. So right. he was always he was always, and it's not a matter of being ahead of the play, but he just knew what was going on. So um, to, to for that for the idea of, the, of a goalie's IQ, um, understanding understanding those those uh, intangibles that happen in a game mm -hmm. and being able to put yourself in position to not only make a save but also to adapt to things that again if a shot gets blocked or if it gets tipped or whatever it may be yeah you have the ability to still compete yeah no I, I and uh, and I don't want anybody to be misconstrued I think that when I had come out with that map. Uh, that's sort of the original map that was like detailed to me a long time ago. And it, and to be honest, it's changed significantly yeah. um, and gotten more complex, but it's just more of a basis, I think, to like give guys an idea of like, Hey, totally. you know, you want to build a efficiency in systems in certain areas of the ice in certain situations. And well, um, I think that, I think that the thing with those maps that, that's great is like, that's the start of the information, right? You're exactly, giving, you're giving exactly. information and that now it's a matter of like, again, the individual to be able to apply their skill base to that information, but it also sets up the idea of consistency because I'll be honest with you, consistency gets contracts. You can, you can be, you totally. can have one game where you make 50 saves and get a shutout and then get pulled the next game, seven on 15 shots. Um, it's all about consistency and that, that information of understanding that that allows the goaltender to, for one to understand the information, but also now 
the situational awareness of handling it with consistency so they can get the confidence that it happens all the time. Yeah. And it, and it becomes very black and white too. Like when you sort of develop some type of system that you, you rely on the situational systems too. And obviously like if I were to detail my entire system, it would be hours long. Like you couldn't even do it because you know what I mean? There's so many different plays in goaltending and it's such a, a trial and error feeling out process, figuring out sort of what works for you, kind of going back to how we talked about, it's not a cookie cutter approach and you need to go out there and kind of figure out what works for you. Yeah. Um, but it's always a good base. And I found that when I started implementing some type of system, some type of situational awareness thing where uh, it allowed me to be like, okay, this is how I want to play this. This is how I want to play this. When I would have bad nights, it was very black and white for, I could go back to like, think about my system. Oh yeah, I didn't do these things. I didn't do that. And then instead of running around like a, a chicken with your head cut off, you can kind of get, get down to the root of the problem. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, that, and that's exactly it. We, we actually, we, um, every one of our guys that, that comes to summer camps or does a summer program, we, we give them a journal and it, we've switched them to online journals and it's fantastic. See, like we have access to them as well. And it's just yeah. a basic hockey journal. And it's fantastic to, to see some of the kids and, and the information that they're putting in. Cause that's exactly what they're doing now. Again, there's a lot of guys that we train in Calgary and then they, they go to a different city to play. We're not there. They have a goaltending coach, but it's not, it's not us. And, and our terms and our, our dialogue, how we use what we use is, is yeah. a bit different from other people. Um, so they have their journal. So now we can go through their journal if they're having any problems and help them with any situation that they're struggling right. with simply due to the information that has been as a foundation been been sort of put into play. Yeah. What do you guys use? If you don't uh, mind me asking, we're using we're just, right now we're using Google Drive, to be honest, because we, what we do is we do uh, we have journals that are connected to the Google Drive that uh, Ben Ben put together the journal. Uh, ben Vanderby's a guy, the yeah. mental guy. He uh, he put it together. And then we with all of our sessions, we we send their video. Um, so they can go, go over their video and break things down. And then if they have any questions or anything that then we can, we can, uh, go through, watch their video or whoever was at the instructor at the net can go over their video and see what they wrote in their journal. And, and if there's any problems, if there's any deficiencies or anything that they, that we see that they don't understand, we can elaborate more. Um, so it's sort of like a, a built in year, year round program for us that we can stay on top of a bunch of our, a bunch of our clientele and, and sort of help them out throughout the year. Yeah, maybe you can just because uh, I like this, and and maybe you can provide some more clarity on how exactly you tell them to structure it, so that way people at home can maybe go out and start doing their own. Uh, I I was saying, um, you know, like how exactly do you do you tell your guys to structure the journals uh, for people at home? Because I know this is a big topic. Everybody likes to make a journal, but there's a lot of people out there that have no idea how to really structure it to be the most even efficient in the journaling process. So with you and your guys. How exactly do you tell them to, to fill out their journal? What's sort of that process that you take them through so that way they can articulate um, what they're feeling or whatever it is? Like, what do you yeah. tell them to put so, in the journal? So what we do, what we do is um, when it comes to like, for instance, this summer was different. We didn't run a summer camp and I actually don't think I'll ever run a summer camp again. Um, a week long thing. It's one of those things where if you're writing a test and you don't study at all, but two days before, um, how well are you going to do on the test? Um, <laughs> So what we did this year, uh, just due to the COVID thing, is we ran a three-month program where guys were on the ice three three days a week, um, and then the journal and the video was included. So what we do is we'll go through when it when it comes to topic, we'll we'll be working on a topic and uh, we'll go into their journal, um, into everybody's journal, and set the topic so they know sort of what the topic is. Um, we'll write a couple key points on the topic, um, and then when we write the key points, they go in on the, on the back end, and then they'll. Um, they'll score themselves. 
yeah. in five different areas of that topic. So they'll score themselves from one to five, one being poor, five being good. Um, it's all color coded. So it shows up so we can see where if, if it's red, they don't have very much confidence in what yeah. they in that certain skill. Um, and then they write their experience and then they, they'll, so meaning their experience with the drill. And then they'll also write some of the key points that they either felt very good about or that they, they uh, struggled with. And the cool part about that is that we tell them to put it in their words, not ours. So we can tell the people that are actually retaining the information versus the ones that are not really getting it, but just going mm -hmm. through the drills. Um, mm -hmm. Then it come, come in the regular season. Um, it's more so practice uh, game based. So they'll put in, for instance, the date practice, um, what they chose to sort of focus on during their practices. Cause the one thing that, that, uh, that happens with practice a lot of times is guys end up being targets. Um, they end up standing two feet, two feet above the white paint and just sort of standing there taking shots. Um, that's never going to happen in a game. So why are we practicing that way? Um, right. So breaking down sort of the areas of focus that we can also chime in on. Like for instance, if a lot of times in practice, they start with a bunch of flow drills. So talking about rush management, well, when you, when we can see somebody talking in their dialogue, their words, talking about rush management, we can also chime in on the other side and say, well, this isn't working. So this is why and break down sort of in, yeah. our, in our writing of, of how. So um, yeah. more so it's based on their experience. Um, we will, when, when, usually when we get on the ice, we're very, again, we're very detailed in what we do. Um, we, we, there's, there's a thing that we do, um, in terms of repetition. Um, again, um, I, I don't know how far, how, how much time you have. Um, I can talk about this forever. Oh, no, we're good, man. We got all day, buddy. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, how, how we run things is because there's a the whole idea of, of repetition. Now, don't get me wrong. Repetition is good. But yeah. uh, lots of people talk about muscle memory. Um, I, I don't want to be the guy that, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not taking shots at anybody, but there's no such thing as muscle memory. Your muscles don't actually have a memory. Um, yeah. your, your body, your, body uh, your, your, uh, your brain sends signals to your nervous system and your nervous system allows your body to move. Right. So we take an approach of more of a, rather than doing lots of reps, we talk about positive reps. And what positive reps are is, is making sure you're doing them the right way or the way like in terms of acquiring the skill. So your body, your brain starts to, it's creating a new neurological pathway that's allowing your brain to, or your body to function in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So by, by, by doing that and by being very detailed in what we're doing, the, the, the terms and, and how we describe things, um, now it's sort of up to the goalie to retain that information. And mm -hmm. whenever they're not with us, continuing to focus on the positive reps versus doing lots of reps. Because what we met with a, a neurokinetic uh, therapist, and uh, he, he was talking about he, he's, he was in the fitness industry, and uh, mm -hmm. he was talking about people who work out, and you know he's seen lots of guys that have squatted 300 pounds before, but their squats weren't very good. So they're right. not really structurally they're not really doing doing themselves any good. But for, and if you think about that, if you've done that for 10 years, for every one rep that you did poorly. It's going to take potentially five to 10 to change that, right. change that motion in your body, especially if you've turned it into a habit. So if you think about that, if you've done 300 squats that weren't proper, weren't actually giving you benefit, now your body is, is, has been trained to, to move that way, to correct mm -hmm. that, it's going to take a lot more time. So more of the approach of, of doing the positive repetition. So for one, they can, they can understand it, but as well as they feel it. Um, as soon as they start to feel that, oh, wow, that felt way better. Now that's yeah. the start of, of changing the idea of the way your brain is operating for yeah. the function of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, no. If, uh, have you heard of a guy named uh, Matt Smith? Yeah. That, um, he, he's a goalie coach in uh, the OHL here in Ontario. 
Yeah, he he takes the exact same approach that you do. Actually, he's all about efficiency, and he's all about sort of not doing like a million reps. Doing, uh, and I don't actually know what the way he coins it, but I went out and trained with him, and that's exactly how. Uh, that's exactly how he trains his guys too. We're not doing a million reps. We're just making sure we do the right reps. So that way you're basically taking your mind and your body to a place it hasn't really been before, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to dive into your uh, your championship a bit with uh, the Kootenai Ice and, um, you know, throughout the playoffs and, and sort of the final series of the championship. Maybe you can just describe for us some highs and lows your goalies went through and the type of adversity they had to overcome to become champions at that level. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what a story, man. Um, so we, uh, we actually, that season, um, we had a tough decision to make at the start of the year. Um, we had, we had three goal, uh, four goalies that were, were sort of ready to go. Nathan Lewin was coming off a head injury, um, and, and was starting to put it back together, but we had a 20 year old, um, from California, Todd Matthews. And the year prior, uh, we, we traded for Todd and Todd came in, he was in Moose Jaw, um, and he came in, and struggled out of the gate a little bit. And then at the, we were at, we were actually sitting as a non-playoff team and he won 14 games in a row. Um, I think he was the first, second or third star wow. in 12 of the 14 games. Um, so he, he returned as a 20 year old and in the Western league, we, we, we were only able to uh, keep three 20 year olds. So we had a bunch of closed door meetings on who we were going to try to keep. If we were going to keep our 20 year old and Todd Matthews, if we were going to keep Nathan Lewin. And then we had a guy, Brett Teske, who was, who was a, uh, sort of picked as, as a potential backup and then uh, Mackenzie Skapsky. And the thing with Mackenzie Skapsky at 16, he, we, everyone sort of liked him and knew he was going to be the future, but he was in a bus accident the year prior wow. with his junior team. Um, and, and he took the brunt of it. He actually had, I think he had surgery on his face, I believe. Um, he didn't play a lot of games the year before. So we sent him back down to junior B in the, in the KI, uh, KIJHL um, just to get games. And we kept yeah. Brett Teske. So we kept Brett, Te- Brett Teske is a backup and we ended up deciding going with Nathan Lewin as a 19 year old. Um, it it was definitely at the start of the year, there was some ups and downs. Um, we, at one point we weren't sitting in a playoff spot and we had made playoffs 14 years in a row prior to that. Wow. Um, we changed it. Things changed. We started to, started to, uh, started to play a lot better. Um, we had, we had a, a great coach, great head coach in, uh, Chris Knobloch. Um, and he taught me a lot of things about, it's not a matter of just like being a, an authority figure, but your, our job is to get the most out of our athletes. Right. And, uh, he Bring did, the he best did exactly out of them. that. And, um, we made a big trade at the trade deadline. Um, we moved, I think it was nine prospects and two roster players for, um, a guy by the name of Cody Eakin. Um, wow. Hey, nine. Yeah. Oh yeah. We had nine prospects go, go the other way. Um, oh my God. Yeah. That's gotta be one of the biggest trades in the history of the league. Yeah. It was huge. It was huge. <laughs> And uh, the thing that I actually really respected with about Cody is Cody showed up and he was in Swift Current before he showed up. And um, when you talk about a guy who, who just wants to be better and wants to win, that's, I mean, that was him. Um, whether he, he was a forward, he was very skilled. Um, there was a couple of times we, we bring up a 16 year old defenseman to practice and stuff. And if he was going one-on-one with them, he would absolutely go through the 16 year old. And someone, I, I was at practice one day and someone chirped him about that. About, Take it easy. He's only 16. And his response was, how's he going to get better? If I take it easy on him, how's he going to get better? He's going to, yeah. he's going to have to play against this. Um, right there. Uh, I knew we, we had something special. Um, yeah. We ended up making the playoffs. We were fourth in our conference. Um, we, we were, I think we were eighth in the whole Western league at the time. Um, we played Moose Jaw first round. 
we lost the first game, won the second game, lost the third one, lost the third one, won the fourth one, and then won the next two. Not a single uh, WHL reporter picked us to win a single series. Then we went and played <laughs> played played uh, Saskatoon. Saskatoon was ranked, I think they were one or two in the nation. They had a, they had a crazy team. They had Steve Sanford as a goalie. Um, they had uh, Shen right. was a player. Duncan Siemens on the blue line. They were stacked. They were very good. They lost. I think they lost two games at home all year long, and yeah. we swept them four games in a row. Um, wow. Our goaltender Nathan Lewin was phenomenal. I think in the first game he had fifty three saves. Um, he was unbelievable. But then we figured out he, he was in a little bit of pain, um, and it, he had he was having sort of stomach pains, and I uh, went to the doctor and was diagnosed with a hernia. Ugh. So. Right there, panic sort of set set in, and he battled right through it. We went the next round. We played wow. played uh, Medicine Hat and beat them in four. We swept them as well. A um, couple overtime wins, and uh, then we played Portland in the final. And when we played Portland, in between periods, in between every period, I would go down and I would talk with talk with Nathan um, and sort of we we sort of give a sort of crash course of what's going on and, and what they're doing on their power play and stuff and give a little bit more confidence to try to give some confidence to the guy we played Portland. Portland was stacked. They had Johansson, Ty Raddy, um, Pouliot, Matt Carruth was their goalie. They were very, very good. Um, mm. Went down into, at the end of the first period of the first game and he, Nathan was in a lot of pain, uh, double hernia. So he had no way in the final series of the WHL final. Um, we lost game one in overtime. There was a, a minute into overtime, a minute, Left in the third period, one of our defensemen pinched in the offensive zone and took a penalty. Um, so we were on the kill for for the start of overtime, and they got a they got a little bit of a squeaker, and they won the first game. Oh. Um, and then we won the next four. And when I say we won the next four, um, our guys, it, it was such a special special club, man. We had we had so many guys. We had the way Cody Eakin came in as a new guy, and everybody gelled around him. And we had Braden McNabb on the on the, on the blue line, Nathan Lewin as a goalie. Everybody just came together, and it was it, again, it was a family, and uh, it was it was phenomenal, man. That that I was in Portland. We won in Portland, Game Five. Um, mm. I was in Portland. It was such a surreal moment um, when the final buzzer went, and I was on the bench with the coaches, and and everybody's going crazy, and then getting on the ice with all the guys and getting hugged and thrown around it was it was such a special moment i still get get uh, the hairs in the back Shows. of my neck stand up every time i try yeah. to relive it because oh, yeah. it was such a such a good time um I, I wouldn't trade it for anything um it was amazing and to, to deal with the mental side for nathan lewin the mental side of um just for one the pressure of being in the western hockey league finals but also playing with two hernias um, yeah, that's insane. Man. Was in, was insane, and and again, I can't say enough about about him. He he just started. He's he's still involved in the hockey world. He retired due to due to the head injury stuff. He just uh, started a franchise in in BC in the BCHL, the Cranbrook Bucks. Um, so proud no of that way. guy, staying involved and uh, and uh, and doing what he's doing. Oh no way, man! I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. He's the he's the owner owner uh, owner of that of that franchise. So um, wish him the best of luck. Yeah. Well, throughout the course of the year, obviously, like I, I love that because I, I always find and, and I had an opportunity to to play in the to win a BCHL championship, go to the RBC Cup and everybody always kind of sees it on paper and they're like, oh, yeah, but they don't see all the heartache and all the adversity you had to co- come overcome during that journey. And clearly, this is exactly why I brought up the question. I had no idea that that was the case. But in any case, really, there's always some type of adversity you have to overcome in the playoffs. So. What do you? What did he do um, to really overcome that? 
honestly, man, for, for him, the the biggest thing was, was the mental side. He was in pain and, and I'll be honest, man, when, when I found out he didn't have, or when I found out he, the first tourney was there, I didn't know what we were going to do. We actually brought up Mackenzie Skapsky and he, he traveled with us, um, just, just in case. And I didn't, the, the pain. And the, the one thing for me was, was, uh, every time I would talk to him off the ice, like if we were, if we were in the hotel or we were at the rink, not on the ice, I would talk to him about how he's feeling. And, and, you know, we, we'd sort of talk a little bit about the, about the pain and the, and the, the hurt. But as soon as it came time to play hockey, we just avoided it. We just tried to, tried to push it away yeah. and suppress the idea of, of pain. Cause again, that, that voice in your head, if you tell yourself it hurts, well, it's going to hurt where mm. if you can, if you can sort of to redirect that in a, in a different way. Well, you got to get, it's, it's basically just a really big distraction, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as soon as, as soon as, uh, that, again, the, the, the first game he played after he had found out that he was diagnosed with a hernia, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was sort of nervous that if, if that first puck goes in, how, how does he respond? Does he want right. out? Does he, is he in a lot? And does he, does he, is it going to feel like he's letting other people down? Um, but he battled so hard. Um, and he did it the whole time with a smile on his face. Um, and that, that was the, the thing that really got me was he really enjoyed that entire thing. I'll be honest with you. We lost game one. We won game two. When we came back to Cranbrook, um, we came back, back to Cranbrook and we, we practiced. Um, and when we practiced, the Portland Winterhawks showed up. So they, they, their bus pulled in and they were unloading all their stuff and all their, all their players went into the, went into the, uh, into the stands and they were watching our practice. And with, with two hernias, Nathan Lewin was stopping pucks. Um, and it was like, we, it was a three on O drill. And he was making ridiculous saves and their, their players were actually like throwing their heads back going, Oh my God, did you see that? Like, so he, <laughs> he, beat them, he simply beat them at practice. Um, and it, it was, it was unbelievable. It was so good to see. Yeah, no, that's crazy, man. I, uh, I, I, I had went through a similar thing, not a hernia. That's brutal. But I, uh, my, my second series, uh, of the BCHO playoffs, I, some guy, like came up behind me and he like he like stuck his butt end in my shoulder and I and I uh I separated my uh or I sprained my oh man in my shoulder I can't remember what that uh the AC the joint yeah my AC joint and I couldn't even I remember like it happened I was like ah and then the next game I couldn't even lift my arm the next day and I'm like man like I'm here to win. You yeah. know what I mean? You just sort of grind it out. Yeah. I, I I would imagine a hernia is pretty excruciatingly painful. That is, that is some courageous. Um, yeah. And then I would love to get inside his head to really what he said to himself to get over that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. again, man, he like the character that he showed through that whole thing. I, I, uh, I have nothing but good things to say about that kid. He, uh, yeah. he had, he, he, he battled through so many things. I mean, the, the, the head injury and the car accident that he was in to, um, to the hernias in the, in the Stanley or in the Western hockey league finals to go to the Memorial mm-hmm. cup. And he played the whole Memorial cup with, with hernias as well. He didn't have surgery till we returned back to Cranbrook. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think contributed so much to, to your goalies and your team's success in the playoffs? Was it just that character that came out and that willingness to come together for a common goal yeah absolutely i i think and again i i have to say that the the, the two coaches that i that i coached under in in cranbrook uh, mark hollock was the first one for the first three years and then he went to the american league in the anaheim system and chris knobloch um very very uh for one again like i i was very fortunate i'm very grateful that i got to to work under those guys because i learned a ton and i learned a ton about like the the um 
getting the most out of your athletes. It's not a matter of, of being right all the time. It's a matter right. of making sure that they're comfortable and they're willing to do what, what you need them to do. And uh, bringing on, again, bringing on Cody Eakin and having a guy like Braden McNabb and then Nathan Lewin, it was, it was probably around the new year. I saw a, a new skill develop with, with Nathan and it wasn't an on-ice skill. It was more of a leadership role. Um, he embraced it. And as soon as he embraced that role, I think he knew that if, if he showed weakness, that there's potentially that 25 guys in that bench might, might start to start to grip their sticks a little tight. Mm. So there was no, no bit of weakness that he showed um, the, the character, the, the, the doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it not just for yourself. You're doing it for 25 guys. You're, you're yeah. going to war with 25 guys. And uh, I think ultimately that, and again, I, I don't think, I don't think you can actually ever say that anyone's really won a Stanley cup with bad goaltending. Um, no. so the whole thing with, with him is, is when he would make the, when he would make the first save and, the, and players knew that, that he was, he was injured and seeing the sacrifice that he was putting in, everybody bought in and sort of, you know, helped him throughout the way. Um, and again, man, the, the watching him, watching him, knowing the pain that he was in and knowing the things that he was going through, but what he did was, uh, again, I, I, there's not many guys that I know that would be able to, to do exactly what he did because um, and, and the way he handled it, even the pressure. Like we, we, we lost in the Memorial Cup. We lost in a tiebreaker to go to the final. Um, oh, no was, way. We, we, we lost to Mississauga. Mississauga and uh, St. John Sea Dogs were in the final. But we, we, we played Mississauga and, and lost. I think we lost 4-2 was the, the final in the, in the game break, in the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. But uh, to the bitter end, to the bitter end, he fought, man. And it yeah. was it was very impressive to see. Yeah, I'm just curious. Like, obviously, you know, some big time situations, and I'm sure, I'm sure they were nervous, right? Um, I think something before I move on is is this idea of being team oriented with your goal, right? Playing hard for the people around you. I always found that that uh, when I was team oriented, when I was like, man, I want to do this for my team. I want to be there for them. I want to support them. Typically, the numbers took care of themselves. Typically, the winning took care of, uh, of themselves. Would you say that's that's true? hundred uh, percent, man. And that's that's the biggest thing is is numbers are numbers. The numbers numbers don't even tell a story. Um, that numbers are right. are uh, realistically, if you think about win loss percentage, goals against average, save percentage, those are just numbers. If, if you're looking for, and this is another thing that I learned from from Jeff Chanel with, um, with the Kootenai Ice, is always look big picture. And numbers are numbers, whether they're good or they're bad. Always look big picture. Um, if at the start of the year, I, I, Jeff Chanel, who also is a, is a very funny man, we had I had a guy Thomas Heemskirk um, in in Kootenai as well before the the Nathan Lewin and Brett Teske. and Thomas was great. He actually signed with the San Jose Sharks. Um, he was uh, Thomas was great, and at one point he was young. He was 17 at the time, and his eight, save percentage was 880. Um, but he mm. he had more wins than he had losses. So I would get chirped all the time. I'd show up in Cranbrook and I'd walk by the GM's office and he'd yell out his door, "Hey, 880." Um, but the whole thing was he was he was winning games. Um, and yeah. so that like, it was more of like a joke. And, and again, Thomas ended up and he ended up with a 925 saver centers that year. But the whole idea is numbers are just, that's what they are. If you're looking for happiness and numbers, you're going to be looking forever. Where mm-hmm. if you find that, if you find that common goal, and like you say, if it's a family and that was the best part about the, about the, the Kootenai ice is they treated everything like, like family. If you were the popcorn seller versus the head coach, you were treated the same way. It was right. family. And, and that's the way they, that's the way the culture was there. And I, I learned to win. It was, uh, it was amazing. Yeah, no kidding. So for for these big games, and you guys went to the Mem Cup too. Um, I'm sure like the goalies were anxious, and and Lewin was anxious. So I'm just curious, what are what are some things that 
you implement with your goalies or tell them to help them overcome like game time anxiety and to sort of help them anchor back and, and focus at the task at hand? So a couple of things is for, first thing is, is, is establishing a, a, obviously a pregame routine, um, whether, whether it be some, and, and the thing with establishing a pregame routine, they can change. You don't have to have one routine and, and say, Hey, this is the only thing I'm going to do. Cause as soon as it's, it, as soon as you start to just focus on the pregame routine, if it doesn't work one game, well now where does your doubt go? So right. having a pregame routine that's that can be flexible and that you can you can change whether that be visualization, breathing techniques. There's so many different things you can do, and it's going to be based on the individual. There's not one thing that works for everybody. Um, but the, the biggest thing that that I, I find to, to take out of it is um, at the end of the day, it's a hockey game. And uh, when I say it's a hockey game, the, the word playoffs and the word Memorial Cup, that's more so the media. The media is going to pump that up. They're going to sell this whole thing of like, hey, the atmosphere is going to be different. Well, is it? If you're playing in a sold out building, whether it be game five or, or game one of the season, the puck still drops in the middle. It's 60 minutes. If it goes to overtime, mm-hmm. it's longer. So instead of buying into the word and, and that, that idea of playoffs or this is, there's pressure. Well, as soon as you start to do that, again, that's the voice in your head that's telling you that there, there's something more than what it is. How right. many hockey games have you played in your life? Well, why is this one any different? Just because they use the word playoff before it? So yeah. prepare and, and really this, this whole, this game is we need to enjoy this. If you enjoy this and you turn it into your life, well, you're going to have way more success with it. So that making sure that they're, they're preparing the same way, they're going through the same thing, the words playoffs and the, the, the words nerves and being nervous about the playoffs is that's made up. That's one of those things that the media is selling because, oh, there's so much pressure. Yeah, there is pressure, but it's no different. It's, it's a hockey game, five on five, puck drops in the middle. Get ready yeah. to play, have some fun. Um, because really, the work the work that we did throughout the year was you, that's why you do it. You do all the work throughout the year to play in the playoffs. So the work Absolutely. had already been done. It's a matter yeah. of now enjoy this moment. This is this yeah. is yours. So 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 for goalies like wanting to win a championship, I guess um, you know what's probably the biggest piece of advice you can give them to sort of be ready to overcome that challenge when they get there because. You know, what do you think is the hardest part about, about playoffs and winning a championship? I, th- I think the, the hardest part about that is, is the, the mental psyche of, of like, oh, it's playoffs. I have to do something more than I've already done. Yeah. Because um, really, you don't have to. You just go play your game. If you play within your strengths, the, the, the whole idea, the way I look at goaltending is um, play, find out what you're good at. Play your game within your strengths. Find the areas that, that you need to work on and turn those into strengths. If you do that, you're going to be playing a complete game. So throughout a year, that's the message. Is the message is what we're preparing for. And, and I mean, obviously, you're, you're trying to win games and whatnot. But in terms of the development side, the development side is, so this is where we're going to start to really take strides in, for one, your, your technical and your tactical game. Um, your mental game will tweak, tweak uh, mental stuff with, with pregame routines. Or sometimes, you know, the bus breaks down and you end up only showing up 20 minutes before the game, whatever yeah. it may be. Work at working with those those things, and then come playoff time, you've done the work. You're ready. You're prepared. Now it's time to go play. Um, and now when I when I, and when I say go play, I mean obviously there's pre scout pre scouting reports and everything. So for younger yeah, yeah. for younger sure. guys, the biggest thing is is realistically, um, and this is I, I don't again don't want this to sound bad, but get out of your own way. Instead of putting pressure on yourself, you love this. This is why you do it. So enjoy it prepare yourself, make sure you have a pregame routine. And if, if, if somebody needs help with a pregame routine, there's many ways you can do it. Um, and, and then there's multiple things depending on, on your character and what you want to try to accomplish, be ready. And that's the whole thing is opportunity. Again, a lot of times you can create opportunity, creating opportunity is a great thing, but the reality is, is if you're not ready for that opportunity, it's going to be tough. 
So do mm. everything to be prepared. So when that opportunity does come, you're ready. And if you're ready, yeah. hey, play, enjoy. Look at Jordan Pennington. Jordan Pennington, nobody picked him to be a guy that played in the NHL. He took a last place team all the way to hoist the Stanley Cup. That guy was ready for that opportunity. Mm-hmm. It inevitably comes, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I always uh, I say that to guys. They get down, they're not playing or whatever it is. And, and the, the hockey world is just uh, things happening all the time. You can't always see the light at the end of the tunnel, but if you're ready to play, um, and it's the same thing too with guys that just want to make that jump to the the WHL, for example, or even college. You know, everybody just wants that jacket, yeah. right? But are you actually ready and prepared to overcome those challenges when you get there in terms of your development? You have to be honest where you are, uh, where Absolutely. you are in your development, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to dive into your work with uh, a couple of your guys, and I know you work with Chad Johnson, an, an NHL veteran. And absolutely love his play. I actually uh, enjoyed watching him quite a bit when he'd, he'd be in between the pipes. He's just such a technically sound goalie. Um, but we actually had uh, we actually had Andrew Allen on the podcast in episode uh, seven, I believe. And he had great things to say about Johnson as, as they worked together in Buffalo for years. And Andrew was a University of Vermont alumni where I went. But um, I'm just curious in your opinion, like, what do you think makes Chad Johnson so good and just such a solid NHL caliber goalie? The, the biggest thing with, with John, how, how I describe Chad Johnson is he's very economical in terms of his game, but he also has the ability to get away from technical structure to make a save. And mm. uh, his, his compete and his willingness, the things that I learned from him as a, a be, being his coach, and again, I think, uh, I mean, I have, a, I have a five-year-old, and my five-year-old, I learn from him every day. I learn about the, the importance of some <laughs> things. So um, again, paying attention to their, their, what their needs and what, what they are, um, was huge for me. Cause we, we, I asked him one day, we, we was probably three years into, I think we've been working together for 10 to 11 years now. And, uh, our third year into, into working together, I think at the time he was with Arizona, um, I, I asked him to talk at one of my camps. And so he, he talked to the kids and the, the first thing he said, and it, it was, it was like, it, it still resonates. I still use the line all the time is that what he played in Alaska in the NCAA. Um, he got hurt. And then, and uh, as you know, in the NCAA, you only play 30 games. He got hurt the yeah. one year. And uh, I, I can't remember if it was the end of the year, but he missed a couple games. And that year he was drafted to Pittsburgh. Um, so he got traded to the New York Rangers. And after his injury, he sat down and, and was sort of wondering what he was going to do in terms of, because obviously uh, the Rangers had Henrik Lundqvist. Um, he, yeah. he sort of figured it out that, Hey, there's, there's 30 teams in the NHL right now. There's only 60 jobs. That's 60 jobs, but somebody has to do those jobs. Why not me? What's stopping me? So the only thing that was stopping him is again, he got out of his own way. He worked, he pushed himself and hit that in terms of, of the thing that I find with, with Chad Johnson, he's, he's very down to earth. When I say very down to earth, you, you, I mean, you know, there's characters and there's, there's guys that are sort of loud here and there. He just does his work and goes home gets it done um he's he's very again very every time we do sessions and we'll we'll, i'll send him video and he'll go over video he grasps concepts very well um his reads and anticipations are very very good but again in terms of of like the economic part of his game very very efficient and very very Mm -hmm. efficient for who he is so um the, the biggest thing for him is again he's he's always been a student of the game he always strives to be better and, uh, and again, the, the, the thing that really resonates is his will to play in the NHL. He just wasn't going to, he wasn't going to take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, uh, he, he has just 
incredible resilience, I would say, because he's been in and out of the lineup a little bit over the years, right? Yeah, absolutely. So he he's uh he again in terms of resilience, he's been injured a couple of times, but also at some of the places like when he was the first year, his first year in Buffalo, um, they they had a pretty pretty tough season. Um, he finished off very very strong, um, but it was one of those things. He he was never really picked as to be their guy. Um, to be their go-to guy. And then I think he ended up playing a whole bunch of games at the end and, and earned himself another contract. Um, and then even when he was here in Calgary, like there was a time, I think he went on a nine game win streak um, wow. and, and he, and he proved that he's, he's a regular in the league. And, and some of those times when you're, when you're that guy and you're, you're, you're pushing to be a starter, um, but opportunity is only coming here and there. He was ready every time he got to start. And then again, in Calgary, I think, I think it was, a, he started 11 in a row at one point. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's one of those things where, where, um, again, he, he was patient. He didn't, he didn't get, he didn't get, uh, to the point where he was sort of uncomfortable with where he was. He just knew that he had to be patient. And when that time came, he was ready to take it. Mm -hmm. And, and for maybe for some younger kids, um, maybe you can just elaborate a bit on that patience. What exactly does that mean to be patient? Cause he's an older guy now yeah. he waited, you know, and everybody wants it. Now we all want to go to the show. Now we want to get drafted. We want the Jack and we want all these things. So maybe you can just elaborate on that. Like what it really means to be patient as a goalie because your career is so long and most guys don't go into the NHL under 25 these days. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing, I mean, in terms of patience is, is the idea, the idea of, again, every level you take a step up, there's a step. And what I mean by that step is there's a step of speed. There's a step of maturity. There's a step of shot releases quicker and harder. And, um, it's, it's more so about in terms of patience is, um, taking your time with the development and trying to dominate at that certain level. Um, mm, I the, love that. The Big prob- fan of that. Yeah. The problem that, that, that a lot of times guys have, and we, we, we experience it a lot with, uh, with our summer camps and people saying, Hey, we signed up for your Bantam camp, but can I send my son to the midget level camp? And it's like, well, no, he's a Bantam. Um, skating with the midgets isn't going to do anything different than it would be skating with the Bantams. It's just you're with your peer group. Um, the idea of that is, in terms of your skill base, is you need to develop a certain set of skills in order to be able to dominate at the level that you're at, not mm. the level that you're trying to aspire to be. Because if you try to skip that step, well, now you could be you could be falling that much further behind. So, yeah. so the the idea of the, of the patient side is is uh, this again. I, I do like the term journey and enjoying this journey is it is a journey. There's going to be ups and downs and, and the downs, instead of looking at the downs as a, as a, um, as a huge negative is that's how you learn. That's the experience of learning. Um, I, I my, again, I, I said it when we were talking earlier, my brother fought uh, mixed martial arts for many years and yeah. at the start that he, he's, he's older than me. So this, he was like a, almost like a, a Canadian pioneer in the sport. Um, I remember his first loss and I, I was devastated. He lost a fight and it's like, holy, how's he going to be when he gets home? And when he got home, it was water off a duck's back. It happened. Uh-huh. I, you, I'm, I learned, I learned that I, now right. in terms of the mental side of things, I know to be more prepared moving forward because I know yeah. that I'm vulnerable. So th- those things, instead of looking at them as big negatives, look at those as learning experiences. Now, how do you work your way out of it? Whether it be a mental thing or, or a physical thing, how do I get out of this funk? Um, and again, there's not one answer. There's many answers to that, but it's a matter of making sure that your, your support team is able to help you with those situations. Yeah. I always say, uh, this is sort of a new thing that I've, I've coined is, uh, you know, hockey's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Absolutely. And, um, I like that you brought up failures along the way because it's the same thing. Like, uh, Louis and even me, you know, like people look at the elite prospects and they just see, they see what they see, but, 
I got cut from like seven or eight junior teams before, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like all over the place. I got cut from four or five pro teams, but they don't, they don't really, you know, you don't really see all that, that heartbreak that goes into there. But what I say to people and even kids at a younger age, I say, Hey, you should go to a junior camp with zero expectations other than you want to get some experience and learn what the caliber is like, how, how, what do you need to become in order to succeed at that level? Absolutely. And, um, the way I got my, my scholarship eventually was because I tried out in the USHL like twice and, um, got cut, figured it out a little bit more, got cut, figured it out. I'm like, okay, this next one, I really know what I need to do. And then I got there and I did what I needed to do. And even though I didn't make that team, I ended up in the BCHL and Vermont ended up seeing me in a tournament there. So you always think about it's, it's process oriented. It's, it's about the journey because, the, it, it really is. You learn more when you fail than really when you succeed. Would, would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I actually, so uh, I don't know if it is, if it's the same out in Ontario, but uh, out here, out in Alberta, in when think when there's no COVID, um, spring hockey out here is a pretty big. It's pretty yeah, dangerous. it's like, huge here too. Lots yeah. Of, yeah, lots of spring programs, and I always encourage the the kids. There's I know lots of kids that uh, that play on teams and they're they're stacked teams and they they're winning tournaments in the final game. They're winning ten nothing and stuff like that. And I always encourage your kids to go on the team that isn't going to win. Right. Um, again, it's spring hockey. It's more about the development. And you learn a lot. If you can, if you can face 50, 60 shots a game and, and learn to lose, but learn to get better through those losses at a young age, I see a lot of times where, the, where those, those same kids that, that played on all those, the top teams, they get to be 16 years old, and then they play mm. major AAA on a team that's not very good, and they can't deal with it. Yeah, because they losing. haven't faced adversity before, right? Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things is like, again, like you said about the journey is like the journey isn't always just roses and unicorns. There's a lot of, there's a lot of dark stuff that you have to try to go through. And that, that experience alone is going to help you when times get tough, how to deal with it. And when we talk about peaks and valleys, now that valley is much shorter than a full on crevasse, you know? Um, Yeah. So um, adversity, adversity and dealing with things and learning, learning about, and even learning about the individual of how you tick. So I know sometimes after losses, there was times, again, I'll, I'll be honest with, with Mackenzie Skowski, um, gr- great kid played in the NHL when in his younger years, when he was, when he was 16, 17, if he, if, if, it, if it was a loss, he would almost blame himself and he was really hard on himself. Right. At 18, 19, he was out stopping pucks and it was, I, he wouldn't even worry about the score till the final buzzer went, Oh, we won. Yeah, right. We won. I made 35 saves. Great. Like, and that's the whole idea is it's a matter of like, he learned through, through the process of, of losing games, how to mentally handle mentally and physically as well, looking after his body, handle wins and losses, never getting too, too high and never getting too low, but also the the learning side of those losses. Yeah. You, you know, and, and I seen it over the years of, you know, you kind of touched on it that like, Hey, you know, and I, I, I honestly felt fortunate to have had a lot of adversity early, early on in my life, just from a, from my size, right? I went through the Jaguar era, right? So everybody wanted the, the blocking style goalies, right? Yeah. But um, going through that adversity really built my character and my resilience to a point where eventually I went pro and even in college and everything. And I realized that like you can't survive without that anymore. Yeah. Without that ability to overcome challenges, without that ability, knowing yourself, how do you overcome adversity and stuff like that? So, um, you know, you inevitably will face it. So for everybody listening, whether you're minor hockey, junior college pro, like it will come. 
Yes. And, uh, and the game is only getting deeper and there's only more goalies. So the sooner you learn how to deal with adversity, I think that, uh, it's a huge positive and, and goes, uh, light years, you know, when you finally get to that next level. Right. Absolutely. And then that's another, that's another huge thing with like understanding playoffs and dealing with pressure is the, the experience again. You, there's, yeah. I mean, you, sometimes you see it, a guy who's brand new to the NHL, a 20 year old that jumps in and makes 40 saves and gets a shutout in his first game. And then you never really see that guy again. And it's a matter of, again, you talk about <laughs> consistency, you know, it's, it's true. Um, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things like you got, you have to be able to do it consistently and how, how you end up doing things consistently is again, by dealing with those, those bits of adversity along the way. Yeah. Well, I, I saw that you also work with Aiden Hill and, and he's had a, a few absolutely fantastic years as a young guy with the Coyotes organization. And he's got over 30 NHL games played now and he's got great numbers, but where did he struggle the most initially as a young guy trying to transition from juniors to pro hockey and kind of find his place in the league? So again, another, another great story. Um, so Aiden, I've, I've worked with Aiden, I think since he was 10 years old. Um, and, and from, from the very beginning, um, I, I knew there was, he was something special. Um, young kid worked, worked really hard, but worked really hard with purpose. Um, but right now, again, um, he's a big kid. Uh, he was never a bit, he wasn't always a big kid. Um, when he was, so he played Bantam AAA in Calgary. Um, he won Alberta goalie of the year that year. Um, and then there's, there's a thing we do out here. It's called Alberta cup and it's, they get all their peers together. Um, they right. do tryouts and then they break the province into zones and they play a tournament. It's right before the Bantam draft. Um, Very cool. I didn't know you guys did that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's a, it's basically just like a showcase before the Bantam draft. Right. Um, it, it's really, it's really neat. I, the BC does it as well as Saskatchewan. Um, I'm not sure about, I think Manitoba does it as well. Um, but then further east, I'm not not really sure. No, we don't do it in Ontario. I know, uh, for, and it's, for it's sure. really, I mean, it's pretty prestigious. There are lots of lots of kids really push for it. They they call it here. It's Alberta Cup, yeah. and uh, he won Alberta Cup as well. And then the, the draft draft day came, and he didn't get his name called in the draft. And um, really, yeah, he didn't didn't get drafted in, into the Western League. Um, and one of the main reasons was he was five foot six at the age of fourteen. So no way. Yeah. Yeah. He was tiny. And now he's like six, six. Yeah. So, and this, it's, it, it gets super <laughs> interesting. So he, he was five foot. So I was with the Kootenai ice at the time. And, um, I was, I was actually, um, on draft day, I was texting our, our GM and our head scout saying, I don't care what round if we're taking a goalie and Aiden Hill's name has not been called, take him, trust me, just take him. Yeah. Um, and then I got a phone call after the draft and, uh, and I, I don't even, I can't remember who we took in the draft, but they took a goalie, I think in the sixth round and said, we're not going to take Aiden didn't get drafted, but we're going to invite him to camp. Well, the Kootenai okay. ice just so happened that they run, we run, we would run our camp at the end of August. So we were one of the latest camps to go. Yeah. Um, and he got invited to, I think he got invited to four or five other ones and he decided to go to Portland and then he was going to come to us. And uh, so we went to Portland's camp and I was, I was keeping in touch with his dad and sure enough at the end of Portland's camp, they listed him. So he's no longer coming to our camp. So great. Right. Congratulations. He went and played midget AAA the next year, or sorry, 15-year-old midget next year, um, and then he played a year of midget AAA, and then as a 17-year-old, he jumped in and played junior A with the Calgary Canucks, and he was maybe five foot nine. Um, wow. So he played junior A. The, the, the Calgary Canucks weren't a strong team. Um, he was getting peppered, doing really well, and then he got called up to Portland. Um, his first year in Portland that he played, I bet you he was maybe six feet tall. And uh, Wow, so he's kind of a late bloomer with his height. Time. Yeah, that summer. So that summer, the year of the year of the NHL draft that he got drafted, um, we, we were skating. We were doing two a days for a while, um, just because he, he had taken a break off the ice and he wanted to do some two a days. He was going to Ontario for a couple of weeks, 
So he wanted to get as much ice as he could. And every day I noticed that as he was walking, he was looking a little more gangly and a little more uncomfortable as, as he was walking out of the rink. And uh, he went to Ontario for three weeks and he came back and he was like six foot four. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was incredible how quick he shot up. So the, the idea of his size, and again, I, at, at the age of 14, I told my wife, I, I did a session with him one day. He had a bad game um, and his dad called me and said, hey, can we get a session? So I stayed late, late uh, night one night and, and skated with him and I came home that night he was 14 five foot eight and I told my wife I said he's gonna play in the NHL that kid is gonna will himself to the NHL wow. and then, uh, again it just so happens he gets lucky six six foot six but the whole thing the whole thing for him is regardless of his size he would have played he would have played yeah 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 he would have found a way for sure yeah, yeah. well you know regarding his playing style then is sort of his approach to the game where do you think that he excels that um you know most most uh, that allows him to compete at the nhl level as a younger guy so again for for one his his compete level is is high he, he's good friends with uh braden point so there's a number of times where we'll run sessions and braden point will come shoot um oh, nice and, and hats off to braden point again he's one of my favorite shooters to come out he's the type of guy i'll be honest with braden point we'll uh he'll, we'll be doing a drill and we'll be focusing on stuff and he'll be shooting and then he'll he'll watch the video i'll stop the video and take it over to aiden to show him something and braden points right over my shoulder watching the video on the ipad looking to say, Hey, like, what can I do differently to try to score? Uh, and then he'll even say to me, as we're skating away to put that iPad back, he'll say, so cards, if I do this, it, would that trick the goalie? And then, and he's like, I'm not going to do it during your drill, but if I, and like, super <laughs> hands on, like very, you give him the very, inside scoop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, very, 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 very intelligent player. Um, yeah. but the thing, the thing with Aiden is, um, he, he is six foot six, but, um, that's what he is. That's not his skill base. He's a very, very skilled kid. Right. Um, very athletic, um, very competitive, um, when it comes to his, his technical game, again, he's very, very technically strong, um, but he also has that, that next level of compete. The way I like to describe it to guys is, is um, again, what separates good from great when it comes to goaltending. Good goalies make every save they should. Great goalies make every, every save they should, and they steal a whole bunch more. And that's him yeah. in a nutshell. He, uh, he's, he can make every save look routine, and then he steals a whole bunch more. People, people are going to think I stole that from you or something. I say that too. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, man. Uh, no, it's, I, 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 I believe that. Like, I, I'm a big believer in that. Like, yeah, like, uh, another, another saying that I heard a long time ago is, is, uh, uh, great goalies don't stop pucks. Great goalies save pucks. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it kind of resonates with sort of what you said of like, Hey, you know, especially when you get to that next level, like you're not just stopping pucks, like you need to save them yeah. and you're expected to stop all the ones you should. And you're also expected to stop some that you shouldn't and give your team a chance to win. Cause I guarantee you, even if you get 10 shots or hundred shots at some point in the game, you're going to have to make at least one big save to, to come up big for your team. Right. Absolutely. And that, that that's yeah. the thing, man, is I, I think that, the, and I, I like that point that you made about the stopping pucks and saving pucks is if you can invest in your initial save so your first save if you can invest in your initial save and you can control every first puck well you won't have to make any second saves because you're controlling every first puck now you're right. you're what, what you just did is you made your life a lot easier where if you're just stopping the puck and you're sort of and again going back to that idea of like blocking and being passive yeah. if pucks are just hitting you and you're not controlling them off of you well, you're going to create a whole bunch of extra work for yourself and your d-man yeah. and your forwards so yeah. There's, there's a lot that a goaltender can do to control the pace and the outcome of the game. Yeah. And at that next level too, re regarding rebound control, that's, that's like everything, right? Cause I mean, a lot of guys are, they're smart enough to be shooting for those rebounds. So you got to know that 
hey, I'm not just here to stop this puck. Like, how can I put this away from a scoring threat, right? Absolutely. And, and that's, that's the other thing. And, and again, I, I don't mean to say anything negative about defensemen, but people, all, some people I've heard dads say like, oh, yeah, well, he's made, he made the first save. But that, yeah, okay, so now you're relying on your defenseman to make the second. That's not your job. Your job is to stop every puck. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. No, I, I agree. It's uh, I think it's a bit of a mindset shift, right? Yeah. Um, if everybody sort of worries about doing their job the best on the ice, that's when things sort of really come together, right? Absolutely. Um, I, I, that's, and I, again, I really like that because I always talk about people will say, you know what, like, what can I do to, to sort of impress or try to make this team? And it's like, be the best you. If you can be the best you for your team right. and everybody else is the best of themselves, you guys, for one, there's going to be way better chemistry because now you've got 25 guys that are trusting you. But the whole idea is being the best you for your team is going to allow you to, for one, be you, but also you're going to have a lot more success. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I, I, it's so funny that you, you uh, the story with Aiden, I had no idea. Um, I was unfortunate. I didn't, I didn't manage to get one of those, but uh, <laughs> yeah. one of those, those spurts late in my career, but uh, you, you deal with it. That's, that's good for him though. He looks huge, yeah. honestly. Absolutely. I saw a picture. I think I saw a picture of his like elite prospects, and he looks like he's like six nine. Yeah, yeah, he's he's huge. Um, we actually uh, we we try to go golfing every summer, and every time we take a take a picture on the 18th hole, and it's hilarious because I I'm five ten, um, <laughs> so it's hilarious. And I like sometimes I I tell, like reflect on okay, we've been doing this for a couple of years now, and you sort of go back through, and now that he's like a full grown man, and he's he's a uh, probably close to 220 pounds and i'm wow. 160 <laughs> um it's probably pretty, pretty lean though eh? oh yeah yeah he's like he when i say 100 like he's a he's a man like he's very very strong very like very very i mean he's in some of the uh, in terms of his shape he, he works with him and Braden point they actually work out together and their fitness yeah. guys do an amazing job well how exactly do you work with him because he's obviously much taller i'm sure than and chad johnson's pretty tall too but how does sort of your work differ with with taller guys versus smaller guys? How, what kind of approach do you take? It's it's more so again again it gets really into like the detail side of things is like finding out what they are. Like six foot six is what Aiden is. It's not the way I like to describe it too is size is not a skill. Size is something you are or you're not. Um, when when you talk about the idea of, of size, like uh, again this is a, a misconception. A lot of times guys will say, well if you're smaller you have to challenge more. And it's like well situational challenge sure situational totally absolutely That's I think of so, it too. so the whole thing is, is in terms of like how do you how do you combat uh, size if you're a smaller guy well one of the biggest things to understand as a smaller guy it means patience you have to be more patient your save attempts need to come from your feet rather than your knees so that's the the number one way to combat size you can't when when I, i've heard guys give instruction before and say play big well what does that mean you're 510 you can't play bigger than 510 if you if when people say oh well that means to get out and play further well again it's situational if you get over aggressive because you're small and there's a weak side pass well you're giving yourself one option it's more so about the detail of understanding what what it means to be in position you need to get on angle you need to have body position and adequate depth to the situation so the whole idea of of with a guy like Aiden is yeah he can play a little more conservative because he because he is bigger but never want to never want to take away from his athleticism because that's one of his strengths. One of us, and yeah. he's always been that way. He's always been a puck stopper. So yeah. as soon as you get into like, hey, you're big, just sit back and butterfly. Well, now he's no longer playing his game. So yeah, his identity. there's always, there's always, uh, I mean, always details that, uh, you know, always can work on, but it's more so about like it, from a smaller guy to a bigger guy, it's understanding more about like what it means to be in position. And then the idea again, be big, well, be big to what? Um, really, you're trying to stop the puck, not the player in, in hockey every shot has to come from the ice. 
So if it's come from Ace, if I'm looking big to a guy's eyes, that's, you know, six feet tall, well, I'm trying to stop that little black disc that's coming from the ice. So instead of trying to, trying to, to fool this guy's shot, if you put yourself on angle to puck, well, you're, you're, you have more coverage on the puck, and now it's your job to be patient from your feet and make a save on, on shot. So mm-hmm. that's, that's uh, again, uh, I think the, um, and again, I could talk for, for days about this stuff, but it's more so about like in terms of the differences between big and small is just breaking down the idea of like what it means to be in position. Because there's yeah. a lot of times like people will say like, well, I, I was in position. Well, what does that mean? You're in right. what type of position? <laughs> so, well, what does that mean to you actually? How do you view positioning? So position, positioning, if, to, to break it down to be in position is first off to, to make sure that the first step, and this is where uh, people will criticize Henrik Lundqvist of playing deep. Um, Henrik Lundqvist plays deep. Um, and, and again, I don't even know if he knows he's doing it, but he's relatively on angle all the time because he's deep. What I mean by on angle is if, if wherever the puck, wherever you want to locate the puck, we'll say top of circle, glove side. If you draw an imaginary line from that puck to far side post and then from that puck to the to the inside of the post or to the near side post, anything between those two lines is the, sp- the, puck, the space the puck can go in the net. Anything right. outside of those two lines, the puck goes wide. So to be on angle is to be in the middle of those two imaginary lines. So now mm. you're on angle. So now, again, if you're on angle, you're filling space. You're filling net space. If you mm. turn your hips, toes, shoulders, and knees towards the puck, well, now you have body position because now you're square. So the chances of you to make a save on that release is going to be a lot easier because, for one, you're filling space, and for two, you're facing the puck. The third element would be depth, and depth is going to be variable. It's going to be variable depending on the situation. If there's right. only one guy in zone to shoot the puck, well, yeah, you can get aggressive depth. And again, as you get aggressive depth, those imaginary lines going towards each post get shorter and shorter so the chance of him yeah. missing a shot go way up and the, the distance of your reaction to make a save gets way shorter so mm-hmm. in order to be in to be in position to break it down in, in sort of simple terms is you need to be on angle you need to have body position and you need to have depth depth is again mm-hmm. going to be a variable variable depending on the situation yeah years ago i actually uh i i, I stole well i, I mean we're kind of an aggressive word but I, you know i i took from like mike smith and Henrik Lundqvist, I said, well, what if I could play like that when the puck's sort of on the perimeter and then have that depth speed to be able to take ice when it gets sort of in the house area? Yeah. Um, and that when you're when that puck's out far, like whether you're five six or six five, if that puck's on the half wall, the guy takes a shot. Like he's not going to score on you, right? Yeah. Um, so the way that I think of positioning is 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 exactly the way you do, except that we it's center, square, and challenge. That's basically the way I look at it, right? Yeah. And you prioritize in that order because if you're center first and and that's what happens by playing a little bit deeper, that more of conservative, the conservative style is you're always center and square. So you're not, if imagine if you just come flying out all the time, if you weren't center and square, you'd be giving up the whole net, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's cool. I, uh, and, and, uh, I know I'm just curious how, how other people view the positioning. That's sort of, uh, that's a kind of in line with that idea of how I've developed this sort of crease management where I'm like, Hey, if pucks are kind of further out, uh, albeit when they're on the blue line, you want to take more ice depending on whether it's a clear lane shot or if he's in the middle of the ice. And that's where we get really technical with the systems and stuff like that. And everybody's got to sort of, um, develop their own. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious, you know, like, uh, finishing it off here, what's probably like your biggest hack, that, that you can share with everyone that typically has a, a dramatically positive impact on your goaltenders, either physically, you know, mentally or, or on the recruiting, recruiting side, whatever it is. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit uh, away from just even like fr- from a hockey standpoint just for okay. this just because it, because it's so individual is um find out find out what you're good at and play your game within your strengths and what I mean by that is is like if it means that you have to co- that that it's a goaltending coach that's helping you out with those things or if it's if it's you and and um uh you sort of doing the research on your own watching video or whatever it may be. The reason I say that is because it's so individual that I've worked with guys who are, who um, the information that we're portray- portraying, like, so some of the guys that we'll, we'll work with um, it's almost too much for them because they, yeah. they've just been taught sort of like, well, I'm, I've been taught to stop the puck um, where the, the whole idea and the premise around it is like, you, you, it's your identity. You are the one that has to play as a goaltending coach. When it's game time, I don't have any pressure. I don't have to play. I'm I'm giving analysis. I'm doing scouting reports. I'm I'm doing other things. So the pressure for me is much different for the pressure on them. So the idea is trying to trying to find out what works for you in terms of your ability, your character. I know I know there's lots of guys, and I know there's I mean there's guys that that I've worked with in the Western Hockey League that the mental the mental side of things and the physical side of things were completely different than the other guy. Well, I can't do the same thing. I can't consistently teach the same thing because they're two right. completely different guys. So to say in term in terms of a hack, I would say more so about trying to find out more about yourself and if how you can do that is through journaling, through um, breathing technique, through meditation, visualization. Um, but it's more so about understanding what it is that you do. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say that, um, obviously you're going to, people are going to have different goaltending coaches throughout their career. Some that some yeah. they like, some they don't like, but it's understanding regardless whether you like the, the the coaching or the philosophy or not, it's a matter of you know that you have to go play so you can still prepare yourself, whether it be technical, tactical, physical, mental, whatever it may be. And it, again, it comes from the, the responsibility of being accountable, but being accountable to, to what you do. You want to want the work. The, the biggest thing with goaltending that I find is like, um, especially, again, guys in the Western League, is when we would play teams, we'd play teams with really strong players. Again, when we played Saskatoon, it was the Braden Shen. They had Braden Shen. He was a, a, an elite scorer. As soon as you start to start to just hone on in that one guy, hone in on that one guy. Well, they they have twenty other players that are that are pretty right. good. So, yeah. playing the game versus focusing and 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 focusing on one guy, but want want Braden Shen to get a breakaway, want to stop that guy, want the work, want like instead of opportunity, him, want the opportunity, right? Yeah, and that's the thing is as soon as you start to learn more about yourself, that's a huge confidence build. As soon as you start to get gain that confidence, well, now it doesn't matter who you're playing against. Yeah, no kidding, man. Well, Justin, you have any last words of advice for everyone listening that you you feel passionate about? Um, again, I I think the 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 biggest thing for for people playing is uh, and this goes for for young and old is um, with, with any type of bump in the road, look at it as a as a building block to uh, to get better and and. Biggest thing for, for me, I, I've been dealing with a lot of guys through this COVID thing right now that are trying to figure out what they're going to do. Play hockey as long yeah. as you can, <laughs> as yeah. long as you possibly can. Um, I know yeah. I, I've been been around and have guys, have had guys that bump into adversity. And I know this COVID thing's been tough on people, um, but play as long as you can. Do everything you can to stay involved in the game because uh, it's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show, man. And uh, was a pleasure to have you and just good talking, uh, good talk on breaking down, you know, transitioning from minor hockey to juniors to pros and then obviously breaking down some of your work with your goaltenders and, and what everyone can start implementing their game today, you know. Um, can you just let everyone know where they can find you online and, and connect with you in your school? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our website is uh, goaltendingevolution.com. You can find us on Twitter, uh, Instagram and Facebook, just Evolution Goaltending. 
Um, and then again, um, email, we have, we have an email address. If anybody wants to contact us in any way, um, it's just goaltending evolution at, uh, at gmail.com. Right on, man. Well, go check out Justin Cardinal and Evolution Goaltending. All the links will be available in the show notes in case anyone wants to connect with him. And after winning a WHL championship and making a Memorial Cup appearance, Justin now runs one of the premier goaltending clinics in Western Canada. And maybe somewhere down the road, we'll have you back on the show, man, if that's something that interests you. Absolutely, man. Anytime. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for coming on. You uh, take care, stay safe, and we'll chat soon, man. Thanks. You too, man. I appreciate having me on. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode, guys. If you liked what you heard today, as always, make sure to hit that subscribe button as we have tons of amazing guests lined up ready to come onto the show in the next few months. Make sure to tune in next week and every Tuesday from now on at 8 a.m. as I have an incredible active pro goaltender coming on, Brad Thiessen, longtime pro goaltender with just a ton, a ton of American League games played. Um, this guy was a stud in college winning several, several accolades, and he's been a stud in pro, winning several accolades as well over his career. And uh, this one is going to be a good one. You guys aren't going to want to miss it, so make sure to tune back next week. Without further ado, here are the giveaway details for the NeuroTracker X subscriptions we're giving away every week. And to enter the giveaway, if you're an Apple user, simply go to the Apple Podcasts app on your phone and leave us a written review and rating. And if you're an Android user, you can also download iTunes onto your computer and leave a review and rating on there as well. And once you leave a review of the podcast, take a screenshot of it and either email it to goaliehacks at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram with your screenshot and your full name. If you guys are also interested in getting started with the product, feel free to hit me up either by email or on Instagram direct messages to get more details. Get excited, guys. Great things ahead. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I'll see you next week.